former U.S. Army paratrooper, historian, and conspiracy analyst, Tony Arterburn, joined by top researchers and guests, exploring the depths of our hidden history, expose the crimes and cover-ups that plague our civilization and planet, and patrol the borders of our reality. 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 From the parapolitical to the paranormal in the psychological war for your body, soul, and mind. Be a paratruther. All right, folks, welcome to Paratruther. I'm Tony Arterburn. I am your host, broadcasting and, well, recording, rather, from the wisewolfgoldandsilver.com studios in beautiful Branson, Missouri. I've uh, got my my hound, uh, security, uh, Beans the Brave, is here, and I've been uh, planning this podcast for quite some time. It's one of the reasons I started Paratruther was to have interesting conversations with people that I respect, and on that list, way up there on that list, is my next guest, and as a matter of fact, um, and he'll remember this. He was there at the creation, present at the creation of the Arterburn radio transmission on 9:30 a.m. The Answer, San Antonio, back in 2018 when I relaunched my radio career. He was on episode number one. Just went to make give me moral support, getting in front of the microphone uh, yet again, and now almost 500 episodes later. Uh, for the Art of Burn Radio Transmission and, of course, other podcasts, way more than 500, I get to welcome back Kenrick Ward. And, Ken, before I let you jump in, I want to look at your Twitter handle. Uh, just love it, uh, at, at Kenrick Ward on Twitter. And uh, it has a, a big backdrop that looks like the Hollywood Hills sign. It says, Stop Moving to Texas. And, of course, we're going to talk a lot about immigration. But uh, and anti-Marxist, anti-capitalist. Uh, so, so face with calm, the heritage and earn contempt before the age. Uh, and that's an Alan Tate quote. And, uh, well, Ken, uh, you know, you're the author of saints in Babylon, a paleocon journalist. I'll, I'll get into how we met, uh, after you introduce yourself, but, uh, just so glad to have you here, my friend. Well, definitely Tony, it's great to parachute into this show. It's a fantastic program you have and honored to be on it. Uh, from Jump Street uh, there in uh, San Antonio. Uh, it's uh, great work you're doing out there, and I'm happy to contribute in what little way I can uh, as a uh, semi-retired journalist who now focuses almost entirely on immigration issues. Uh, I've really drilled into that issue, and uh, I know you're of uh, like mind on it, and it's always a, a pleasure because there's very few of us who um, have this kind of attention to the relationship between civilization and immigration, how they're inextricably tied. So, uh, you know, when I introduce myself to people, uh, I have to uh, confess that I am a career journalist, but I also add immediately that uh, don't hold that against me because I'm not the kind of uh, journalist that uh, most people are afflicted with or acquainted with um, on radio or on TV or on on the print, what's left of the print side, which is where I came from, uh, newspapers. I was in the business for 30 plus years, but uh, now working exclusively online and uh, 
really appreciate all the work you do, Tony. It's uh, very inspirational to me and my work. Well, I want to say, you know, how much I, at least uh, even on this recording, I'll say it. I just uh, so appreciate your correspondence. I get to correspond with some of the brightest people uh, in our time that are, you know, watching the real events and what's actually unfolding in our world. And I was thinking about, you know, how much has changed since you and I met. And that happened at uh, the rally in front of the Alamo to stand up to what at the time George P. Bush son of Jeb was, was doing to the Alamo. And I know there's still ongoing the, uh, the process of reimagining it or, or neutering it, but I got to be the last speaker there on the cenotaph, which was a great honor. And you happened to like some of the things I was saying about the Bush family and multinational corporations and the elite and, uh, you know, their, their plan to, uh, remake history, uh, to re, you know, to, to create a new globalist internationalist narrative. And, uh, we, we hit it off from there. I just, uh, really uh, a value, uh, you know, all the time that we've spent together and the, the correspondence that we've had, it makes me a smarter journalist. And I, I consider myself a citizen journalist too. And I've, I even showed you, I, I joined that um, German paper group. You know, I get to, I have, I have the creds, I actually have the ID. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm of the club too, but I understand what you're saying. And, um, you know, we're talking about civilization and immigration. Those two things are absolutely linked but one of the things that i learned in my early 20s and i i don't know why i didn't learn it before but i read pat buchanan's the death of the west and that ties civilization to politics and i you know you just didn't hear that and you almost still never hear it in 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 the upper echelon of the ruling party uh you know the establishment you don't hear about civilization but those things are our civilization is linked to our politics you know, the uh, the society itself, the spiritual health, uh, the demographic health, you know, are, are we, you know, is diversity a strength or is it is unity a strength? You know, I mean, th these are the these are the fundamental questions. Can a nation survive with, you know, without a common language or a, a common unifying culture? Can it do that? I think you and I would would say, no, it cannot. And part of that is is immigration and, and how fundamentally how that works. But Anyway, I'm, I'm so glad to have you here. And um, do you want to talk a little bit about kind of thinking about immigration? Then I want to go back to Pat Buchanan on the death of the West. But just talk a little bit about what what are we witnessing right now as far as the the tidal wave of of, of immigration uh, politically? Is there anything happening? Do you um, do you see any movement in the on the side of the uh, the nationalist or the right or anybody to counterbalance the globalism that's going on in the West. And, and then, you know, what you, what you see coming down the road. Well, I'm so glad you uh, kicked it off with that question because uh, last few days I've been reading uh, pretty deeply on what uh, transpired in Italy this week uh, with this uh, Georgia Maloney, uh, the new prime minister. And, uh, it's a fascinating story, and I think it's a good prism through which to view what's happening on the immigration civilization front. Um, and it's a bit unfortunate that we have to uh, go across the pond to Italy to uh, have a fairly deep discussion about it, because what's going on in America is just dreadful and dismal and totally brainless uh, as far as politics and a serious discussion is concerned. 
Um, whereas over in Europe, you have a much more frothy and uh, enlivening debate going on, whether you're up in Scandinavia and Sweden with the Swedish Democrats or now down on the boot uh, in Italy uh, and everywhere in between, it seems, there is a lot of uh, conversation, serious conversation going on. Now, that being said, uh, there is reason for skepticism, and I'm not going to give a Georgia Maloney uh, campaign speech here by any, by any means, but she is saying things, uh, as you uh, mentioned, Pat Buchanan, saying things that uh, you just don't normally hear in, in polite conversation. Uh, I read one of her speeches, uh, and it goes right to your point, Tony, where she said that she was railing against those who would deprive Italians of their roots and identity so that they become enslaved at the mercy of financial speculators, yes. quote unquote. Yes. Um, you, don't, you don't hear that in the United States. I mean, you hear kooks like Bernie Sanders, but uh, there's no integrity to, or, or seriousness about any of that. And whether Ms. Maloney is, is actually serious is, is a good question to have, but um, it's good that she's putting it out there. And uh, to me, from a distance, it does provide some grounds for optimism that there, there are nationalist movements that are making an effort and uh, are having some success uh, certainly she's having success at this early stage. Uh, I have serious doubts as to how far she can or will go because the whole notion of parliamentary democracy is expressly designed to subvert nationalist instincts because it is a, it's a bourgeois model uh, that is corporate driven by money. And uh, she can talk all day long about the, the, the uh, downsides of crass materialism and all that, but uh, everyone's playing that game. So I, I would like to have a discussion today a little bit of, about that, kind of tease out some of her thoughts and use it as, I think, a current, very current example of the kind of uh, discussion that we can have here. Um, but I think uh, we have to look at it in two different ways. One is the philosophical truths versus the political pragmatic realities. Um, and as we know, politics is uh, the art of the possible. And that's what, uh, that's where the rubber meets the road. But if she can stake out a claim and hold a coalition together, which is already having some issues uh, because Salvini and um, uh, Berlusconi actually would like her to take an even harder line when it comes to the EU and NATO and Ukraine. Uh, those issues are still out there and still somewhat fuzzy. Uh, but as far as what she's saying about her country, Italy, uh, it's, it's a refreshing uh, bit of fresh air to, uh, to hear. I agree with you. I think it's a natural uh, response to internationalist globalism, to the erasing of borders, to the supranational entities like the EU and what's happened to these countries that have been absorbed into that over the last uh, 20 years. I mean, it's been catastrophic for the culture, catastrophic for their own sovereignty. And uh, you look at what's happening in the United States and you, I go back to 2000, I believe it was 2006, 
and uh, it's just after George W. Bush. They he'd lost the House. Nancy Pelosi had become Speaker. We had this major border crisis going on then, which was just a flood of illegal immigrants and the political will. The grassroots was was massive at that time. And again, that's a different America. You're talking about totally different demographics even then. And that's when they funded uh, the the first prototype of the what's called the fence or the wall or whatever. Right? That's when they funded or it said they did. They put it in the bill. I believe it was 2006 or seven. That never got built. <laughs> like the, the political will was there and it just translated into nothing. And now you you see an even worse border crisis like we've never seen. I mean, and it's it's the the cumulative effect of it because you I don't even know how many we, we could speculate on how many illegal immigrants are here in this country. But, you know, you could focus on that. You can also look at the amount take of take the over whatever it is. Right. Take the over. It's well, first of all, it's like the time capsule. It's all it's been 11 million since I was 11 years old. So I don't think that's I don't I'm almost 43 years old. I don't I don't think it's that number anymore. But you you can see and it's it's very strange and something I noticed when I was in Washington, D.C. with you when we were at the uh, Federation of Americans for Immigration Reform and that large radio row when we were talking to Michelle Malkin and all these great thinkers on immigration and the the angel moms and dads. And there's something with this it's, it's, there's a real dynamite in immigration and it's even worse now, um, as far as politically speaking out against it, even like in 2007, I can remember you could have like legitimate conversations about stopping illegal immigration. Uh, Ken, I don't see, I really don't see the, the parties, either party, and it's the Republican Party is supposed to like be the party for immigration and 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 somewhat uh, sanity in immigration and reform and all that stuff. It's not happening. At least that's not what I'm seeing. It's like they get the same. Um, I mean, it's like you know the medical industry. Do they really want to cure disease, or they get to raise money off of it and sell the same prescriptions and all? It's the same thing the GOP does in in these border states. And you have people like Greg Abbott you know, bussing people up to, I mean, they, well, that was DeSantis, but he's, you know, Greg Abbott's bussing people up to these blue sanctuary cities. I'm like, why don't you just secure the border, Greg? You know, so I, I agree with you. Look at Europe. They have, they're at least having some sort of political uprising saying no. And we, in the, in America, we've just been swindled by this two-party system. And in, I know you talk about the parliamentary system, but uh, it's designed here not to be able to secure your borders, at least in its current form. Uh, at least that's my thought. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the duopoly is is designed to stop any sort of nationalist movement. Uh, it's doing a beautiful job of it. Uh, the obstructionism is is baked into the cake. Um, it's funded by the the banksters and the the uh, corporate interest uh, and they like it that way because they, they win, they play both sides against the middle and we end up with a terrible, terrible system with just awful leaders. Um, I think you could say on the European side, at least they're getting some interesting people getting elected and they're, they're saying some things of substance. Uh, there was an article recently uh, in the wake of the Italian election by Pedro Gonzalez uh, at Chronicles which is a leading, maybe the only paleoconservative uh, magazine out there. And uh, I'll just read a quick uh, summation of what he said about the Italian election. 
He says it never occurs to the defenders of liberal democracy that they have sown the seeds from which politicians like Maloney spring. She is, in fact, a reaction to the sexual revolution, mass immigration, multiculturalism, and the subordination of nations to unaccountable transnational elites, all of which are features of the modern liberal order. Uh, so uh, from Gonzalez's uh, perspective, you know, there, there's something there. Um, and The Guardian, uh, the liberal newspaper in, in England, I think took a pretty good nuanced uh, view uh, of what's happening over there when they said that uh, to call Maloney and her crew fascists is, is way overselling the point. And that's a, that is a claim that the Atlantic, uh, based in New York, uh, is making. Because, of course, anything they disagree with has to be fascistic. Because uh, that's, you know, that and calling people Hitler, that's just the end of the argument for them. But the Guardian uh, said, no, it, it's not fascism. It's more like Trumpism. And I think that's much closer to the mark that uh, some of what she's saying is what Republicans are saying although not many of them. And uh, she's taking it really to the next level, to a level that uh, Republicans would not go uh, because this two-party system that you talk about is just absolutely corrupt and, and brainless. So uh, that is, I think, a good, quick uh, capsule summary of, of what the thinking of Italians is, that the people who voted Maloney into office to be the prime minister, um, they are fed up with this liberal order. Uh, so there is a reaction coming. It's not just an isolated case. It's happening across Europe. And uh, the media are doing their best to tamp this down, to try to minimize it, to get it under control. But um, I think uh, I'm guardedly optimistic that there there is something uh, that is coming and we're seeing perhaps the leading edge of it here. No, by here, I mean Italy, not not the United States. We are so far behind. Yes. And uh, as you point out, immigration is a huge reason that we are so retarded uh, as, a, as a culture, as a society, as a nation, because, you know, our so-called land of immigrants is, uh, you know, Statistically and by every measure, it's way over the top on, on what's uh, happening worldwide. You know, Italy has just a tiny fraction of, of migrants that we get on a monthly basis. And yet their voters are saying, let's get the blockade out there in the Mediterranean. Stop it. Uh, whereas here, you know, our answer is, yeah, let's, let's bust them farther into the uh, interior of the country where uh, – there is no ICE enforcement. There's no uh, removals. There's no deportations. Um, the number of illegal aliens continues to grow, and so does the welfare state. And this is, you know, the ultimate contradiction that uh, libertarians are uh, are living with or preaching about, because their whole naive, uh, hyper philosophical notion of, you know, you're a free person, you should be able to do what you want. Well, uh, that they apply that to immigrants, and uh, what's the result? An ever larger uh, state government apparatus that uh, cares and feeds for the uh, the immigrants. 
So it's a completely nonsensical construct in my in my view. God bless our libertarian friends because we talk about this with them all the time. I mean, it's just one of those blind spots because I happen to agree with libertarians on you know the government surveillance power and foreign policy most of the time, gun rights, you know, the Patriot Act. I'm, we're on board, but it's just that's nations um, functioning, um, it's culture. Those are things that matter. You can't have rule of law without them. And that's where the libertarians, I think, miss miss a big chunk of our argument. I mean, right now, and especially the mainstream and people that don't are just having to phone it in. I mean, I mean, can you imagine being a mainstream media journalist just reading the the talking points from whatever intelligence agency <laughs> sends over from the day? And and we're actually having trying to crunch numbers and figure things out and source stuff. And you know, they're talking about fascism in Italy, Ken. And I'm going, wait a minute, uh, do you guys know what fascism is? I mean, it's the merger of, of government and corporations, and uh, that's the corporations are the ones pushing the weaponization of people. I call it weapons of mass immigration. It's the corporations. It's the banks. It's 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 entities like BlackRock and the environmental social governance. Uh, that's what's going on right now. I mean, it has fascism is the farthest thing. I mean, when they're talking about Trumpism, I guess that's a decent term, I guess, for it is it's just regular people saying, I don't want to go into a new world order. I don't want to go into a, and, and have my, my rights eroded by a supranational entity that I have no say in. Uh, you know, she's talking about international finance and financiers. That's, that is the catalyst, and that's what's going on in the United States of America. And it's one of the reasons I'm living in the Ozarks now. I, just, I, I saw that the political will is there. I see the people. I see the grassroots. I see all that's probably bigger than ever. But there's no translation between the will of the people on this on this front of immigration, at least in my opinion. There's no translation of outrage and want and everything into action. It turns actually on the opposite. And then you get people like I go back to it, but it's Greg Abbott. The guy's been, you know, I, I ran for Congress the same time he ran for governor. And I got to meet, you know, uh, Mr. Abbott, Governor Abbott. And he talked about suing Barack Obama, and that's what he did during that. So I get up in the morning and I sue Barack Obama. And I said, yeah, but it didn't do anything. It's like, that's what he was doing as attorney general of Texas. And so I'm looking at these same Republicans and look at how many people have illegally immigrated into the United States. Look at what's happened to our nation in just the last eight years. And it's really astounding and uh, terrifying. I mean, this, well, they, and it, it is. And, uh, you know, these Republicans uh, are just great at raising money and siphoning hope. That's pretty much their two jobs. Um, there was a bill introduced today in Congress uh, by Josh Hawley uh, up in your neck of the woods, Missouri. Uh, his his bill supposedly would uh, allow, enable, and empower governors to deport illegal aliens uh, on their own steam. Don't have to wait around for Uncle Joe Biden to do it. Um, you know, this is, this is a bill that probably could have and should have been introduced decades ago. But you know, these there's the Republicans are great at these uh, show votes. They'll introduce these kinds of bills when they don't have the majority in the Congress they sit in. They don't have the White House, so it's just for show, and nothing's going to happen. And Greg Abbott, like you said, uh, great at filing lawsuits, great at issuing press releases great at uh, manipulating the media into making it appear like he's some sort of hardliner getting the job done when it's all 
fiction. It's just a big Potemkin village. So, uh, you know, filling up with illegal aliens. So it's, uh, it's very tempting because as people look at these issues, at least the way I look at it, you know, you go on this uh, continuum from saying, okay, Democrats are crap. Our Republicans are uh, a facade, a joke, uh, a, a pressure release valve. Um, and then when people get to the point where they realize that guys like Abbott and Patrick are a sham, they say, well, let's go for uh, the libertarians, you know, and uh, so they, let's get more more options and more uh, diversity of, of opinion. And I'm all for that. Um, but we need to be realistic about parsing through all this. Uh, and I really come down to it uh, from using the immigration issue as the litmus test, because if you're party or your politicians don't get that right, then they've got everything else wrong. They can they cannot be trusted. Uh, and libertarians, that, that is their Achilles heel. That that's what exposes them and their weakness and, and their philosophy, uh, that they basically think like Marxists uh, when it comes to immigration. So uh, that's not going to be the answer. Uh, the answer has to come, at least for us nationalists, it's going to have to come from somebody else. I mean, the, these fundamental questions are going to get answered in real time, like in the next com- in the coming decades or even years, just coming short years. We're going to see um, does the liberal philosophy, what they call the liberal world order, does it hold water? I mean, can a nation survive without having much in common or being fractured? And we just don't see that in history. There is no example of having a multilingual, multiracial, multicultural superpower or empire. It doesn't work. I mean, the closest thing you'd find the Soviet Union and it collapsed underneath its own weight and broke into 16 pieces. Um, you know, I talk to people on my radio show all the time. I said, you know, fast forward 50 years from now and uh, barring Armageddon or the apocalypse, Mexico will be Mexico. Japan will be Japan. China will be China. Russia most likely will be Russia. But then you look at the West, what will we be? What will America be? What is it? Is it a is it an idea or is it a place? Is it a nation or a notion like Pat Buchanan asked? We, we're supposed to be a nation. And I the uh, the the mantra, <laughs> the, one of the part of the catechism of the global elite and what you're supposed to say is diversity is your strength. You know, and I just don't there is no evidence of that. As a matter of fact, we're we're politically fractured. We're spiritually fractured. All these things. It's and it's happening in an accelerated rate. Um, you know, the, in the line of business and, and media that I'm in, I see this as part of a plan. You know, I take it one step further. It's not just a political expediency. It's not even leftist leanings or anything like that. I really believe that this is a a plan to collapse first world nations. You're incentivizing very poor people to to risk everything and come north. And, uh, and our government is incentivizing. And I mean, you could, every, every, uh, tragedy that happens because of illegal immigration is on the heads of the politicians that allow this. I mean, you talk about, you nope, know, no question. I'm wearing that, uh, green bracelet I put on in 2019. I've still, I've talked to Sabina Durden, uh, via Facebook the other day and just said, you know, I'm still wear, um, her son's, you know, Dominic Durden, his green bracelet because he was killed by an illegal immigrant. That that 
that conversation had a huge impact on me, even though I was already there before, like that's, I believed in stopping this, but it's a bigger picture. It's not just, it's, it's not about politics even really anymore. This is a, I think a, a, a way for the global elite to get what they want, which is to erase borders, uh, to uh, merge economies into zones that are preferable to their own whims. And uh, immigration is part of that. Um, it's a much larger plan. But I wanted to get your take on something I thought of the other day. I was on a podcast and maybe it was my show. And I said, um, you know, Christianity was born out of the collapse of the Roman Empire. And now Christianity is collapsing into the new world order. That's what it looks like to me. And then that's about civilization. I, I'm not so pessimistic that I think Christianity is ultimately going to perish, but it looks uh, the trajectory looks like that right now. And that's, that's just really about our civilization. Cause you know, you, you read somebody like Will Durant and they'll say when the faith dies, the culture dies, the people die. That's the succession of events. And, uh, I just think it's that serious. You know, that's, one of the reasons that uh, I do my program and we, you can't, none of nothing about this current reality is, and going back to immigration is sustainable. Well, I agree. And uh, this is where the, the evil interests that you allude to here um, have been working full time for hundreds of years to bring about the decline and fall of the United States. Uh, and one of the ways they do it is to atomize people uh, and to welcome and celebrate diversity. And what better way to do that than to flood the zone with people from all over the world who have no concept or appreciation of our culture? Yeah, they, they might want to live, come here for a better standard of living and for more material stuff. But as far as honoring and appreciating and upholding the values of the culture, what's left of them, uh, is, isn't there. It's just not there at all. So, uh, you know, in 1965, we had the passage of the Immigration Act, National Immigration Act, um, which radically flipped the, uh, the, the percentages of immigrants coming into the country. Uh, prior to 1965, it was about 80% European and 20% from the rest of the world. Now it's 80, 20 the other way. And that has had a tremendous uh, corrosive effect on the, the culture, uh, on Christianity, as you said. It's no coincidence that Christianity is, uh, I, would, I wanna, don't want to use the word failing, but, but it's definitely uh, crippled uh, in many ways that, uh, that have really gone to the core of what does Christianity even mean anymore? When you have uh, left-wing lunatics uh, talking about, you know, what would Jesus do and, and putting their own spin on things, and many, many, many mainstream churches buying into that, uh, and the Catholic Church, you know, with uh, its charity program and, and uh, aiding and abetting um, immigrants of all sorts, uh, you know, this this is really goes to the core of what's happened with Christianity. Um, I personally uh, don't like the, con the, the, the term Judeo-Christian because the fact is Christianity has been Judaized and essentially taken over um, by Judaic elements. And that is not 
helping Christianity as, in terms of its own identity, in terms of what it stands for. Uh, the Christians that we have today who pass themselves off as Christians uh, would not be recognized by the old Latin church of the medieval period. Uh, the the whole concept is completely different. And uh, I'm not saying, well, let's go back to the Middle Ages. Uh, we can't go back. And this is where uh, a lot of these so-called conservatives uh, fall short. Is they're, they're trying to return to something that is simply not possible. Um, it does, I think what's required, what's going to be needed to reverse things is, is a more of a revolutionary position, not in the Marxist Bolshevik way, but a revolutionary position that will essentially be implacably traditional or conservative or reactionary, even whatever term you want to use. Uh, because we've lost our moorings, we've lost our, our balance and sense of who we are. Uh, and as you said, um, that is unsustainable. Reminds me of a story I read years and years ago of Pat Buchanan talking about the uh, columnist uh, researcher uh, Sam Francis. And uh, he was a real, real paleo. I don't know if you ever read Sam Francis's work, but he he was a, oh, yeah, a, a he's great. big influence on, great. on Buchanan. And um, somebody asked Sam Francis, they said, uh, well, he was, a, I believe he was a Catholic and uh, paleocon. And, and, and he said, what, what uh, level would you like to see the, uh, the church return to? Like, what, what is authentic to you? What would you like to see in our time? And he said, I like to see people burned at the stake again. <laughs> That's what he, <laughs> was he, he was going back to full medieval times. And I just thought that was so funny. He's kind of said it in jest, but just to get to the point of like, that's where, you know, the, the church was born out of in like the church and the culture melded as one. And as we've been on this trajectory in the, in the modern, in the modern era, especially post enlightenment, I mean, it's, it is really difficult to, um, to accentuate culture anymore. Like where, what are we? I mean, you talk about Christian civilization and that's our civilization in a nutshell. If we don't have that, I mean, it's just like the, again, the Roman empire, you know, they had their, the pagan faith and their gods and, um, you know, their hierarchy and all, they had all of that. And then it just died, you know, it, and it didn't do it overnight, but it died and it became something else. And, you can see then that had a lot to do with uh, their expanded uh, military obligations and uh, being in different lands, importing people, different cultures, different faiths, not having a, uh, I mean, really just having open borders, having a declining population at home. I mean, it sounds familiar, doesn't it? They also started debasing their currency. It's like I'm listening to, uh, a lot of times at night, I'll put on uh, Grover Gardner reads uh, Will Durant's uh, the story of civilization. That's a huge, you know, it's just hours and hours. I mean, I'm probably what a few hundred hours at least of, of, uh, of reading. And one of them is the, the volume I'm on right now is Caesar and Christ. It's the, you know, early Roman empire, early Christian church. And, uh, I mean, just talk about the same mistakes over and over and over again. And we're making them here in real time, except I think, uh, and that's why I'm a, proud conspiracy analyst. I just, I think there's a plan here. Like I want to, I want to read you a little bit. Uh, I picked out an excerpt from a Pat Buchanan book called day of reckoning. And this is just after he did his book on immigration. This is a copy that I've had 
since 2007. I want to read this real quick to you, Ken. This is, I wanted to include this in the podcast because it's really apropos. It says, why did America not secure her borders, enforce her laws, repel the invasion, expel the intruders? Because our leaders are terrified of charges of racism and lack moral courage. And because the United States has ceased to be a democratic republic, the will of the majority is no longer reflected in public policy. State and local referenda to deal with illegal alien crises are routinely invalidated by federal judges as immigration laws go unenforced by federal officials. Perhaps the greatest threat to the survival of this nation as a sovereign and independent republic comes from transnational elites who seek to erase our borders and merge America, Mexico, and Canada into a North American Union. Uh, this the first step towards a world federation of nations and, and peoples. There, as uh, and she's talking about Strobe Talbot, rhapsodized, nationhood as we know it will be obsolete. All states will recognize a single global authority, and the phrase citizen of the world will have assumed real meaning. This is not the nonviolent path to national American suicide is on now, right? This is what this is. But the new world order to be born. For the new world order to be born, the old republic must die. Loyalty, loyalty to transnationalism is thus treason to the republic. Yeah, it's beautiful. That's that does sum it up. And that was, and that's the the fronts and the the fissures have even expanded. You know, since that was written, I mean, every day it's something new. And uh, you know, one of the creeds of Bolshevik liberalism is that the revolution will not be complete until the language is perfect. So we're always coming up with new phrases, new fads, new new crusades, um, just to keep people completely off balance and uh, with no no moorings, no traditions, no no nothing. Uh, when she gave uh, her victory speech, uh, Maloney I think touched on some of that when she said yes. To natural families, no to LGBT, yes to sexual identity, no to gender ideology, yes to the culture of life, no to the abyss of death, no to the violence of Islam, yes to safer borders, no to mass immigration, yes to work for our people. And I like I like the way she did the the couplets there because uh, there is a stark choice going on here. It's not shades of gray. It's black and white. And uh, you need to decide what what side you're on. I just don't think that uh, the centrifugal forces holding it together, this charade of politics that we have in the U.S., I don't think the center can hold much longer. I really don't. I don't think that they can continue to ignore the will of the people. And I, a Republican Party notwithstanding, I really think there'll be something else. I mean, Pat Buchanan, and I know we mentioned Buchanan a bunch here, but in our time, he's been one of the great voices on and really ahead of the ball on a lot of this stuff as far as how mass immigration to peoples affects civilization, therefore affects the politics and the outcome. I just don't think that, uh, you know, he may he was right about a lot of things, but you know, he was saying that the most important border in the coming years will be the, the southern border of the United States. I think it is to the people, but I don't see the politicians. And again, it's just something we hit on. If they're not going to change it, what is the aftermath here? Yep, and that's um, you know what makes Texas such an interesting uh, place—the uh, land of your birth, 
which in many ways you're, you're not even recognizing anymore because uh, we're on the leading edge of the, the demographic change that's going on. And it's not just people south of the border, it's people from everywhere. And it's becoming this, well, it is a mega state uh, with no cohesion. Uh, the Republicans maintain control just because of the absolute feckless ineptitude of the Democrats to offer a reasonable alternative. Um, Republicans have basically morphed into this gigantic tent that's full of leaks uh, and is totally not going to be standing uh, over time. I, I love what you said, Tony, uh, when the Texas exit Texas uh, group started up and said that uh, your response was the first thing they ought to do is uh, abolish the Republican Party. Uh, that would be a start. <laughs> yes. That would be a good a good beginning because they are, I think, uh, the biggest impediment to uh, liberating people um, and to regain uh, some sense of competence uh, in government uh, and some you know, sense of sustainability in how this state is going to operate and how it's going to de uh, defend itself. I mean, uh, to use the European-American analogy, I, I think the Texas thing is is a, a long shot of long shots. Um, you know, the Brits were able to extricate themselves from the EU, but this is a different uh, kettle of fish here uh, because the federal government in Washington, D.C. Um, has it rigged up so that uh, any notions of secession are just hobby horses, uh, helps people let off some steam, but uh, it, it's not built for the long run. It's, it's just, I don't, I don't see it happening unless something of absolutely cataclysmic proportions happens. And the longer this charade goes on, I think the, the more chance there's going to be of something of that magnitude. Uh, but who knows if or when that's going to happen. You can, uh, of this union, it appears that you can check out, but you can never leave like the Hotel California. <laughs> I mean, if you look at uh, the, the, the political realities, and I support, you know, I have a lot of good friends that are uh, Texas nationalists. I'm a Texas nationalist. I'm fine with that. I think it would be great. I like smaller republics. I like, uh, uh, you know, I, I like getting closer to the earth, closer to the people. That's that's how the only way that that liberty really truly can reign, in my opinion. I think that Thomas Jefferson fellow was right. But I used to ask the Texas nationalists when I would be on the campaign trail when I was running for Congress. It was um, so we're going to have President Rick Perry. And they would just kind of, well, no, you know, but they, to them, it was like getting rid of, uh, the federal government and having a, you know, a Texas nationalism would automatically make our politics better. And I just don't, I don't know how that would, I mean, we're still subject to the same demographics, the same, uh, market forces. And I mean, it would be a start. I'm not, again, I don't oppose it. I just, I just thought it would, you really need to examine what's actually going on here with your politics. The reason why you feel so hamstrung is because you have a political party there. And look, I just spoke to the young Republicans in Rockwell, Texas a couple months ago, and I really enjoyed it because these are like grassroots young people that are, they really want it. They're concerned. They liked everything I was saying they were agreeing with. And I'm not just because I was standing there, but they really enjoyed my talk. And I thought, well, you guys are so close to the mark. And that's a, but the but the powers that be want you exactly where you are. You got to think outside the box because they're going to make you choose um, what they call the lesser of two evils or something, which is still evil, and you're still going to get the same results. I mean, it's like uh, the, the ruling class now is like we're 
you're trapped in a <laughs> in a car either either going 120 miles uh, to over a cliff or you can go 60 you know and that's that's mm -hmm. the difference that's the only we're still going over the cliff but we can maybe make your your ride a little bit more comfortable um I, look, you know I, that's the, uh, <laughs> that, that's a good analogy, and the uh, uh, so many of the Republicans, apparently not the group you were talking to, but it's like if you say a bad thing about Greg Abbott, you are a communist. I mean that's just the way it is. But what they're not seeing, if they want to use the F word, the fascist word, um, that's what Greg Abbott and the Republican Party stand for. And I don't mean that critique in a glib way like, you know, the leftists and the anti-fascist groups mean. I mean it in the in the way you put it, which is the combination of corporate and political power. And we see that the giveaways that Greg Abbott uh, and his crew uh, give to large corporations to get them to move here. Uh, they're in love with the tech industry and anybody else who will bring a few employees and they will give them every tax break in the world. And uh, the result of course is that uh, mom and pop, mom and pop kettle uh, end up paying more on their property tax and more offer everything else while uh, suffering this, this woeful influx of people. I won't say Californians cause I'm actually a Californian myself, but people from everywhere across the globe to come enjoy what Greg Abbott calls the the model of capitalism, which I think is hugely ironic, given that he's given away the store um, to corporations uh, in this uh, mad dash for jobs. At least that's his putative reason for it. But it's it's again coming back to immigration. It's changing the the whole feel and look of Texas, uh, becoming more corporatized really in many ways becoming more like California. And uh, that wasn't how Texas was built to begin with. Uh, I don't think Sam Houston would recognize the buffoons who are in office today. And yet people have just got under this, you know, our good, D bad mentality, you know, Coke's better than Pepsi. And if you say a bad word about a Republican, you are completely off the reservation and not to be considered a serious person. Uh, so as long as people have gotten locked into that mindset, um, we're not going to be making much progress. You brought up Sam Houston. I agree with you. And one of the things about he wouldn't recognize any of the buffoonery. He would, he didn't have a much tolerance for that anyway. And I was thinking about the story after the Texas joined the Confederacy. He was governor of Texas at the time, but they made him resign because he wouldn't swear an oath of allegiance to the Confederacy. He was a Jacksonian a union man, you know, that's the way he, he didn't have allegiance to the North so much as it was. He just thought that what they were doing was going to lead to, uh, I believe Sam Houston predicted it. He says, you're a fiery people. You'll cause a lot of damage, but the, the cold calculating industrial North will, uh, roll over you eventually. And, uh, you'll yeah. probably retaliate with an assassination. That was his words. But one of the funny things that I, that I thought of when you were talking about that was after he was pushed out of office, they had, a the new governor they installed and the one of the press agents asked Sam Houston said, what do you think about the new governor? And he said, well, I think they should hire a team of geologists to study the strata of dirt on his neck. Because <laughs> like, he apparently didn't bathe well or something. And it's just like, that was the kind of response or, or, you know, the I'll, I'll tell one more Sam Houston story. Cause you mentioned it, but uh, 
Uh, apparently, he when he was dying or really sick, uh, he summoned to have two people come from the nearest town that, that were his political rivals, the people he didn't like. And uh, he, they went into the room, and he, and he asked one of them to stand on one side of the bed and one side on the other. And he said, uh, uh, I just wanted to be like my Lord and Savior. If I have to go, I want to die between two thieves. <laughs> <laughs> so, supposedly i read that so like in an old book from the from the 20s or something but um that just sounds entirely plausible but, right and we don't have those kind of figures anymore I, I get lost in history it's one of the reasons i like corresponding with you so much because i mean you'll bring up stuff that i mean the modern age just i mean it just dumbs you down i mean you're you're not able to cope or understand what's happening around you because you'll get captured by Fox news. You'll think that's the real war, you know, or I'm just going to oppose like, like you said earlier, like if you don't like, um, you're a, you're a Marxist lunatic, you're an Antifa. If you don't like Greg Abbott, <laughs> like, well, I can have another choice. You know, there's other, uh, you know, other than the sellouts, you know? So, uh, I, I think that a, a harder political reality is coming, but we're just not there yet. We're, I think you and I have seen the lightning, but the other people haven't felt the thunder yet. I think that the, the it's baked into the cake, you know, for a real pushback against the uh, the ruling elite. And part of that, you know, really goes back to um, the the civilization, immigration, all all of the stuff that they've really pressed so hard on. You know, and it, you know, you mentioned earlier, reading your Twitter bio, anti-Marxist, anti-capitalist. I, I happen to agree with so much of your take on economics because after you get into uh the realm of research that i'm in you realize that like you know these these guys like the warbergs and the rothschilds and the rockefellers these guys funded communism and they're supposedly capitalists you know they're supposedly like oh well you know they they'll do anything to make a dollar uh sort of and it's almost like the the image of the snake eating its tail. It's like the tail is Marxism and the head is capitalism and it just consumes itself. And we're all caught in the middle of this. It's these two extremes um, that are really kind of the same thing. It's the same kind of like, you know, Thomas Jefferson said, I mean, one of the wisest things is like merchants have no country. Mer the very spot of ground, which they stand on doesn't mean anything to them other than can I sell or buy here? And I'm in business. I like to, make a living. I like to pay my bills and I like to be successful, but my first loyalty is to my land, to my country, to my people. You know, I wouldn't sell them out, but that's not the norm right now. I mean, that's, that's, we, we learned the wrong, like you're talking about Greg Abbott. I mean, that's not what makes a great country. Just having all these, you know, uh, big corporations come in and put their giant buildings up and their structures and make their little cities inside a city. I mean, I just, I don't think that's what makes the uh, Texas a better place. I don't think that's, it's not certainly well, a better place since I was a kid. And, and clearly that's not what Adam Smith had in mind. Um, he wouldn't recognize what's going on here either. Um, you know, I think that capitalism as it's currently constituted in practice is actually proto-communism. And I, I think I've heard you speak on this too, Tony, that it's just, it is an evolutionary process. Um, uh, by design or, or whatever, that's what's going on. And, uh, you know, the whole notion of, you know, free market, uh, entrepreneurship, it's been corporatized to the point where it, it almost doesn't even make sense anymore. Let, let's use the electric vehicle as an example. 
Uh, I know you're a big fan of Elon Musk. Not, um, <laughs> you know, here he started a, a company that did nothing but burn through cash uh, for year after year, and yet it was rewarded by the stock market. Uh, and you know, you don't know what came first, the chicken or the egg, but government got on board. This all sort of supposedly fits into the global climate change mantra. And next thing you know, all these companies that have built their their reputation and their their profit margins on the ice engine are now converting mad fashion over to electric. And I've ne- I've yet to see actual analysis if if this is any more environmentally sound than than a good performing ice engine. Uh, my guess is that uh, the infrastructure that's going to be required to service all these EVs is going to be astronomical, and uh, and it may not even work. But yet everyone's bought in on it. So it's like this this correlation, which I remember we talked about this uh, during your inaugural show down here in San Antonio, um, where I quoted the the communist Antonio Gramsci, who said that if you can control and take over the media the education and the entertainment sectors of a society, you have won without firing a shot. And clearly, if you look at those three sectors, uh, the left runs the table. And that reinforces whatever the new thing happens to be. Uh, In this case, uh, talking about EVs, everyone's on board, or so it seems. Uh, And it's, it's, to me, it's a form of mass delusion and uh, since the media is all in, you're not going to get any serious analysis or debate or discussion about any of it. It just is. You know, this is the world we live in, quote unquote. Uh, well, who said? Who made those rules? So uh, I think it's it's just fascinating to see how immigration fits into this because you look at the the heads of uh, of the high tech industry. Most of them are from overseas. They're not even Americans, uh, and you don't need to be a you know, full-on nativist to see how that affects our society. Uh, same thing with the media conglomerates. As you say, you know, you got about seven companies running the show. Uh, the entertainment sector, same exact way. Um, these bodies are not representative of anything that this country has historically stood for. It's, it's a totally different paradigm. And we're seeing a lot of destabilization uh, as a result, and that, of course, is by design. So that's that would be my my take on it, just to use the the EV industry, which is this this merger of big tech and big government, and uh, we're going to pay the price for it. Yes, and it's funny you brought that up, and I was thinking about um, Pete Buttigieg, old pothole Pete, who's now the transportation secretary. His uh, professor in college, I believe, was uh, a real devotee to Gramsci, and he actually changed his name to uh, something Sacco after Sacco and Vanzetti. So this is like the radical Marxist that taught Pete Buttigieg. Of course, he's a Rhodes Scholar after Cecil Rhodes at the round table of one of the British New World Order to absorb America. But this guy is up there, on, and I don't know if you t- saw that exchange you had with Congressman Thomas Massey. But Thomas Massey was like, so, you know, uh, this this grid that you need to support these electric vehicles, it's like adding like 24 refrigerators 
to every American home or something like that. The amount of, uh, did you have a grid? You have, don't have a grid that'll support it, but you, but now you're forcing people, you're going to, you know, stop uh, building infrastructure to support the combustion engines and all this stuff. And, and they don't have an answer because they're just leading us off a cliff. It's just, you know, this controlled demolition, in my opinion, it's just like, Oh, we got to go away from gasoline. Uh, we're going to go into EVs without anything to support it. That just means you're not going to be able to go anywhere. That's I can't, I think that's the point. And, Really, that's brought to you in part by this environmental, social governance, socialism, Marxism, you know, again, the snake eating its own tail coming from the, the world's richest people, which is kind of the theme of my radio show and my research, even though I'm I'm in the gold and silver business. You, you'd think that I'd be more sympathetic to some of these <laughs> sharks and uh, charlatans, but I'm absolutely not. I'm a, I'm a throwback, an old gold bug, you know, where I'm just like sovereignty, leave me alone. You know, metals are money, like the founding fathers said, and, uh, you know, currency is and fiat currency, I think, is is something you know, I call it the fiat is fake. It's the head of the snake. And uh, that's where you find that just like, you know, Christ talked about uh, in the New Testament talks about the love of money is the root of all evil. And that's what we're saying would play out in our in our time. I think immigration is a real part of that. Um, before we go uh, and we we could do this for three or four hours, you and I easy. Um, I'd like to keep these episodes just under so I can, you know, put it out on the radio or, or WWCR or, uh, or even 930. I may, may run this in San Antonio, but, um, looking at Europe, uh, just as we go, um, you know, I remember reading in the death of the West, you know, the only country in Europe that had a, a population above replacement levels was Muslim Albania. I think that's still the case even 20 years later. Uh, but you see countries like Italy pushing back, you had Brexit, even though they, did they had the buffoon, you know, Boris Johnson just like botch every part of it as far as I'm concerned. Um, Who just like Trump botched the nationalist movement in America. Right. Yeah, that's like they're, it, Boris Johnson reminds me of like uh, how the, the Europeans view like American food. Like they make their, like, this is a cheeseburger. I'm like, well, sort of, you know, and then like we had Trump and they had <laughs> Boris Johnson. It's kind of like the same, but not, but not the same. So I wanted to see what you thought. I mean, just as we close. What's the fate of Europe? I mean, is, is you, do you think that Italy may be the catalyst here for a revolt against the EU? Well, I am optimistic, Tony, uh, guardedly so, um, trying to be realistic as well. Um, but I do see that there is more energy, uh, there's more um, intellectual weight. Uh, and I think this is largely due to the fact that they still do have some semblance of a culture, whereas ours has been completely deracinated, uh, to use one of Sam Francis's favorite words, um, they still have something over there to draw on. Uh, so um, I'm hopeful that you will see more of these uh, movements gain steam and, uh, and are able to coalesce and to get a whole new dialogue going where people are actually questioning the foundations of what has happened since World War II, uh, realizing that they've been taken down a blind alley um, and that the, that there, there are uh, traditions and cultural traditions, um, blood and soil conditions that are worth saving and must be saved if 
those countries are to are to survive. You know, and I'm not trying to paint a uh, a rosy scenario like everything is going to be great because we know that Europe has been the stage for many of the bloodiest wars in the history of man, and, and that's a real tragedy that uh, these countries have turned against each other. But the fact is, what the what has been created is the worst of all worlds. Um, this this EU hegemony, this uh, bound uh, slavishly the political correctness and every other whim of the elites, uh, that's not going to get the job done. So we need to reassess um, what's going on, look back to the past to see what's worth salvaging, to draw on those uh, strengths, um, and to move forward, not backward, not in a nostalgic way, but to be dynamic about it. And um, I do have hope that whether you're talking about Sweden or Hungary or Italy or any points in between, uh, that discussion can actually take place. Well, wise words, my friend. I'll close with this story. Uh, uh, as as Ken and I got to correspond, and, and he would come over to see me at my shop in San Antonio, and we were having a conversation one day, and that's where I usually keep kept all my books in my office, and I'm having a conversation with him about uh, uh, my love for, for Buchanan and how the death of the West changed my life and started have, looking into... Uh, and that's why you talk about the intellectual heft is really on the side of the people with, uh, writing about civilization and those great questions right now. I mean, that's by by far and away uh, the uh, the amount of brains is over on our side for sure. But I was talking to Ken um, about Buchanan and the death of the West. And he says, yeah, I have a citation in one of Buchanan's books. It's the one he wrote. In the, it's not the, it's the one after the Republic, not an empire. And I said, you're in the death of the West? And he said, yeah, I have a citation in there somewhere. And I said, oh, my, I think so. So I went over to the bookshelf and pulled it off. And lo and behold, if you look in the back of uh, Pat Buchanan's The Death of the West, there's a citation for Ken Ward out of Las Vegas. And um, I said, well, that is a first for me. So I think we were uh, destined to to be uh, friends and correspondents, sir. I just so appreciate your friendship and uh, everything that you do, your courage and your your intellect. and uh, we want to have you back on. We don't 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 let 500 episodes go between the next one. Okay, <laughs> right. I promise that uh, if I'm still around. So I appreciate all you do, Tony. Uh, you're, you're doing great work and uh, deserving of many, many, many citations. You're you're a good man. I appreciate you so much, uh, Ken. You want to tell people where they can find you and and uh, some of your work? And uh, I know you got uh, the that book uh, that you wrote some time ago, The Saints in Babylon. And uh, it's about the yes, Mormons. Uh, that was back in my old Mormon days in Las Vegas. Uh, people may not know this, but Mormons uh, have an outsized influence in Sin City. Uh, it's one of the little ironies, which I was picking up on as I wrote my book. Um, I enjoy doing that and having access to church leaders as a paid up member of the cult uh, helped me put that book together. Uh, I may do another book at some point that won't be about Mormons, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happened. As far as uh, finding me, uh, you know, one of the beauties, I guess, and the curses of the Internet is that uh, there are no secrets uh, of, of consequential proportion. Uh, so if you just type in my name, Kenrick Ward, you'll get all kinds of uh, articles that I've written over the years. I'm currently doing uh, ghostwriting, so uh, you won't see my name on very many current things but uh sometimes less is more 
No, sometimes it is. And I, that's why I didn't, I know what you write for is I just didn't bring it up. I didn't know that was a, uh, uh, something we need to put on a podcast, but I, I bet if you reached out and, uh, you know, at mentioned him on Twitter, you could find out uh, if you want to get some more writing and what he does. It's some, it's some really great research and uh, something that I, I look to for information, but uh, Ken, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, it's just a, it's an absolute honor again, but we will have you back. We will not let 500 episodes lapse. Uh, before you return, sir. So thank you. Uh, once thank again. you, Tony. It's it's uh, it's a, always a, a joy and a privilege and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you, my friend. Well, folks, I appreciate you listening to this episode of Paratruther. Remember, in the information war, be a paratruther. Okay, we'll be back soon. See you next time.